Welcome everyone. I'm Sam Sebastian, and you're listening to How Are You Doing Really? In today's episode, I have the honor of speaking with my dear friend, Ty, um, also known as Tiger, and uh, just a little bit about how me and Ty met. Uh, We actually had both started a training in the Hakomi method um, together in, I believe it was 2017, um, and continued to do the entire training together and have maintained a relationship since. And yeah, it's just a very, um, just dear, sweet, the word cuddly comes up um, <laughs> when I describe what he's like. Um, and and I'll just share a little more about how, uh, yeah, he, he kind of um, presents himself. So Tiger holds himself as an ambassador of a sort and the related skills cultivated over his lifetime are frequently called upon particularly in these days and times. Holistic healing, truth and reconciliation, meditation and restorative practices, sexuality, psychology, and spiritual exploration are passions and areas of ongoing study. Creativity is a core aspect and sensibility has manifested in the forms of writing and singing, just to name a few. And yeah, I, uh, I like to start by, yeah, asking the question, how are you doing really? Ty? <laughs> mm, well, he- hearing you read that and say what you said about me has me feeling a bit cuddly. So uh, I wasn't feeling as cuddly before that, but certainly I am now. Uh, so I'm feeling uh, tender, I guess is what I'm feeling. Um, and there's a lot of complexity, Sam. I, um, with all that's happening, certainly since March 16th in particular, when Shelter in Place for Me began, and up until this past Saturday, where I awoke or awakened to, um, news that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris had won the election. And in my somatic body, I felt the tears coming out of my eyes at that point. And I hadn't realized just how tense I was because I think I was preparing myself to bear another four years of what felt, what feels like something intolerable, but that we had to do. This was a spiritual lesson we had to learn, is how I've been couching it. So it has been complex for the past several months and (laughs) interesting and um, emotional. Yeah, just like you just took a breath after saying that, it it, it just sounds like a lot of us were just able to like breathe again after we got that news. 
I use those exact words. I can breathe again. I can take a breath is what I said, just what you said. I can take a breath. It feels as if we still have a, some uphill climbing to do. And we got a respite. We could take a breath. I was finally feeling that the kind of intelligence, I guess, that I respect is is present in, in, in this field. Um, mm. Not that I'm saying that Jill or Kamala are better than anyone that's there or more intelligent. It's just what I'm recognizing, the type of intelligence that I can recognize and that I can read and that I can, I can spread my wings or move my body with. Uh, which just feels like a gift in some ways after this period of this virus and racial upheaval. Something you can trust in. Something, yeah, something that I can seriously consider trusting in. I think I, I think with any, basically with any white man in power, I don't know that I, trust in it. I think that I, I've learned to live with it and I've learned to take the better of, of what I consider beings that have been um, indoctrinated towards power and whole and courting. But I feel that I can just what I, who I've seen a little bit of Joe Biden and the fact that he chose Kamala Harris as his running mate, it, feel, it feels as if there's some space there. There's just some space there. But do I feel we're in a place of liberation? No, I don't. Do I expect in the next four years, because I don't imagine at 78 he's going to go too much longer than a first than one term, but who knows? But I thinking, do I think he's going to be able to do what I imagine is liberation in that time? No, but I, I do feel some glimmer of hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, some glimmer. Yeah, even as you say that, like I just notice myself kind of feeling that in 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 me as well. Like I. I think a lot of people can relate to what you're saying um, to some degree. Mm-hmm. And and one thing that, that really sh- strikes me is that we have a, a female vice president-elect now. And on, on top of that, being a woman of color. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think that things don't just change overnight, but I, I do feel like this is a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, I also felt that way with Obama and felt like that kind of got pulled out from underneath us when Trump came into office. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but us both being um, men of color and um, with, with you being black and, and just, your entire experience of what that means to live in America and be who you are. Like, I I just think that there's potentially um, 
just a, another layer there uh, that I I would say I, I can't fully like relate to a hundred percent, but I what I am hoping and 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 really um, wanting to to see in in the world is a, a just an acknowledgement of how the American uh, system has has been kind of set up in a way where where men and and white men specifically are are who hold the power in this country and who who have have kind of made the or, or created this this kind of systemic racist way of of, of being um and yeah i feel like i'm i'm going on and on um but i i, I guess what i want to really touch on is just how how that is for you um in this moment you know it's a part of the complexity that i initially started speaking with one of the things that came up in addition to the the sort of tears that i was feeling was this a part of this complexity of what you just speak to of knowing that this is the time and place we are living in now and you and i in particular in addition to being men of color we're also people who have a firm commitment to healing and i think i know that the healing is both on an individual level and on a collective level what has been very prominent in my consciousness is this paradox that i am living in and the one is what i felt you just saying this paradox of being in this black body um at this time and or having or a black body <laughs> in the time that america has existed and those of us being here um it's been brutal it's been exceedingly brutal and it hasn't particularly changed very much i mean we're not enslaved on a plantation but there is still this energy of um supremacy uh that exists in the country when i when it was repeated to me yesterday i believe that 70 million people voted for donald trump still and by looking at the maps of who those people were and, and, and demographically who they were it was largely this white population of people that are still holding something that that we live in and we live in a in a world where this irrational um prejudice is in, in the in the ether constantly and the helpmate that you and i were talking about just before the podcast uh this is what we talked about today that i i felt how can people not find their way to kindness and and i began to feel the part of me that feels battered by that lack of kindness and the image that i'm holding one starts with me as a little boy with my family 
my black family on the south side of Chicago and the way that they fought and the way that they, I guess, struggled probably due to their own post-traumatic slave syndrome. But then I likened it to today with this, the vitriol that comes out of the mouth of beings that I see as white who, for whatever reason, have decided that those who are not white are lesser than. Mm-hmm. That, that's been hard. And it is very, it, it's, I don't acknowledge it. I acknowledge it with, with our mutual helpmate today. But I didn't, I don't often acknowledge that. I just sort of grin and bear it and move on. The paradoxical piece is around this piece of us that is healers and the recognition that the manifestation of those beings is about a wound. And, and you mentioned the Hakomi we did together, but in the somatic work and study that I was also doing as we were doing Hakomi was learning the works of Resma Menachem, uh, who wrote the book, My Grandmother's Hands. And that work so pointed me to the trauma that exists in the white bodies, as well as the trauma that exists in black bodies. So it was a new frame for me to hold. And that this trauma goes back much farther than the 400 years of horribleness in America. It goes back to even their realities of being brutalized, subsumed, Mm -hmm. uh, being have-nots, and then going and finding a place where they could be haves and creating that. So that place of the paradox for me is of both compassion, but also really living with them as terrorists, that I am being terrorized and we have been terrorized by them for centuries. But then we are healers. Uh, And so what is what, holding that paradox is that so i have to i have to stop for a while feeling my pain and and fear and hurt and then moving to this other part of me that sees oh you are incredibly wounded and traumatized and what would be my role here uh i can't see it simply being me sitting in the hurt and the terror it also must be for me to shine a light, pray, do whatever we do as healers to bring some sort of something better to that reality. So I've been thinking a lot about that, that what the work, the spiritual work that I've been doing, I frequently get to the point of being, it coming into my consciousness that there is nothing that I was thinking of I'm thinking of Donald Trump in this moment. There is nothing in him that is not in you, is the message that comes in my mind. Mm -hmm. So do not other him in this way, that you can't move from othering. You can only move and have spaciousness from realizing, how do I heal that part in me that is in him? And that's the beginnings of doing the work of spaciousness, healing, uh, modeling of, of this healing thing. So I have been in those two places, both the victim and the one that says, oh, as Maladoma Somay told me seven years ago, 
we are here to heal Western civilization. That's our work. And I've really been holding that. Healing Western civilization. Mm. That's a task. And it feels as if I'm, we're in the, the crux of it right now. Yeah, there's there's a couple of things that that really stand out about what you just shared, and it is really paradoxical, you know, like being like on the receiving end of something and just feeling the 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 layers upon layers from the past doings of of um of slavery of racism of um yeah oppression the like that on top of your own personal experience and then also being in touch with this other part of yourself who is understanding that the way in which we heal from this is not by um making the other person wrong necessarily, but being able to see that they're also wounded and like acting from that space. Precisely. And and it, it it's it's kind of I when when that idea was kind of presented to me, it was like, huh, yeah, you know, like for every perpetrator like I'm sure they 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 were on some sort of receiving end of that, and it's just something that's continued to make its way mm-hmm. through throughout, um, yeah, humanity. And I what I I am curious about is with with having um, the the different practices that you have, like what is most supportive of, of you, um, I guess in, in this moment around, uh, yeah, your, your healing process. And Mm -hmm. was something you just sparked when you said about the perpetrator is around the same time that I started doing the work with Maladoma. I also had just started working or volunteering at San Quentin State Prison in in both in two capacities, one in the Buddhist Sangha, which is what I've maintained, and the other one was a more restorative justice path uh, that I was doing. And so much of that had to do with this very lesson that you just mentioned of, of actually seeing it. And, as I heard the stories of those men who went, and I was working with lifers, so I was hearing the stories of um, those boys, the boys that they were to the men that ended up doing the murder or the raping or the robberies. Um, and up until that point, I, I hadn't expanded my heart or let my heart be open enough to really see who they were as boys and what happened and they the theme that returned over and over again was this sense of them feeling worthless as little boys, either because of the abuse and violence that was happening to them or the abandonment that was happening to them. It was this, this sense of worthlessness. 
Mm-hmm. And I just hadn't tied that in before at that time. Um, that even with my domestically violent father, it had never occurred to me that was he acting out this way because he actually felt worthless and his life wasn't worth anything, he wasn't valuable. So therefore he just acted out in this violent way with my mother. And as I was there longer and longer, I saw that that was a core theme of the men of San Quentin. And now I'm applying it to many of the people of the United States of America that all of this avarice and greed and hoarding really has to do with feeling some a lack, you know, scarcity. I'm not enough of, I don't have enough of, I'm going to lose something. Someone's going to take something from me, which it seems is to, it's really interesting enough, the core wound of this land of prosperity, supposedly. It's really built on such a scarcity, a sense of scarcity, and not just tangible item scarcity, but the scarcity of knowing that I am a valuable being, that I am worth, that I I have worth. Um, so I have my my path has shown me over and over again that this is really it. When I look at that precedent now, I look and think. What did his parents tell him mm. about himself? What and I even hear my my fellow friends, supposedly progressive, the news people that I choose to watch, just saying over and over again, "You are not worth much. You are stupid. You are the worst president we've ever." This is the message that I hear coming out. Of the of the, the beings that I'm holding as evolved in some way, per, per, politically or somehow having a having a compassionate heart based place, have been now mirroring the position of the very people that they've been vilifying, and and that's really been the work for me to know that that is coursing through my mind because I am hurt and angry by the the pain that I've caused. But is this any different than those boys who went out and grabbed a gun at 15 and shot someone? You know, I, as those men in San Quentin showed me, I, am I really that different? And ultimately, as I was doing the work there, I realized you're not any different. With those circumstances, it, had they been placed in your hands, those very ones that were placed in there, certainly if someone had given me a gun, when my father was brutalizing my mother, I'm, I'm sure I would have used it. Mm-hmm. And so, and I could have, I would have been in a very different path than the path that I ended up on. So I guess, you know, and I'm trying to pull back your question, but yeah, I feel that this is an, in, this is an opportunity for all of us to see how we can be better beings, how we can really evolve. I don't even know if it's better. I, I use the wrong word. How we can evolve to be the beings that we idealize. Mm-hmm. Um, and we all have a tendency of doing the same thing, of us, saying, us and them posturing, mm-hmm. of once we feel in danger, doing whatever we need to do to vanquish the danger. And that doesn't have anything to do with our 
ethnicities, our genders, our, it feels as if that's what, as a species, we are still in that place, despite how much we think we are a higher form of life. What I see over and over again is we're not acting in any higher form than the reptiles in the jungles. We're not acting enacting any differently. So if we're actually going to call ourselves higher form, we have to charge ourselves to step into that. And we haven't really done that as a whole collective. I think there's small groups like the Dalai Lama or something maybe that have done it or Nelson Mandela or something. Those people seem to have been able to do it as individuals. But as a collective group, I don't see that we've been able to do that yet. And we're trying to get there. Yeah, you know, one of the the things that that I I listened to um what was it? I think it was yesterday morning. It was a, a podcast that um you know Krista Tippett mm-hmm. does on being. Mm-hmm. She she had um a, a woman on who who was speaking to just what's what's kind of happened throughout history up until this point and like what might be a new path forward from here and like she she does speak to the need for a collective shift and also just i think i think that's that's one thing that i I wonder like how do we how do we encourage each other to start having more of these conversations? How do we in, encourage people to learn how to acknowledge <laughs> their parts and and things and and really come into more of that perspective that you were speaking to of not seeing us as us versus them but but more of uh, as a we. Mhm. And I know that there, there's a lot of um, people in the therapy realm um, and somatic psychotherapy realm and, and all other sorts of healing practices that are, are um, I think, kind of being put out, like just more and more seeds are being planted uh, around this kind of language and, and perspective and um, I I just know there's there's been a couple of friends in my life who recently like they started doing uh, group kind of Zoom meetings where they're meeting with all white people or all people of color and reading Resma Menikin's book and and like talking about the work and and then also planning to come together both white folks and people of color and at, at some point I, I know this has been going on for a couple of months and eventually they will come into a space where it's all of them together having these these conversations and um i think there's a need for for more of of this and and just a more truth, you know, more truth about what's happened in history so that people can can understand like why 
why this means so much, why it might feel so, so um, heavy. <laughs> mm-hmm. How, how is, um, how would you say your, um, like your capacity to, to do this work with, um, with your clients has, has maybe shifted, uh, as you've noticed yourself doing more of the work in internally? Um, I, I would say, you know, similar to what you just sort of laid out, when I actually allow my clients to inform my process, when I really realize we are, we're actually in community together, we're in some village together, when I'm not thinking that I'm bestowing, which is what I think the Western system teaches us that as a, in any role of authority, you're bestowing something on someone who doesn't have something. And what I've been learning more and more with my clients and with the work that we've been doing is it's not about me bestowing anything. It's about me holding the space. And once I hold, I just, whatever that container is, and once I'm holding that in a emotionally intelligent way, the work happens between us. So it's not simply me coming up with my very, varied theorems of things and offering them a fix. It's really about how it informs us both. So a client that I had just this past weekend um, is the child of two Holocaust survivors. And I mean, I've heard the story, you know, throughout my life. Uh, and oftentimes I have felt that they are the winners of the oppression Olympics and as well as they got white status. So there's some issue about that for me. But as I was sitting with my client and I'm hearing what happened to her born to these two survivors, and here she is in her late seventies, it really began to inform so much of what I felt in this life. You know, as I, as I wasn't thinking, trying to sort every moment of how to help her to fix her, to get her on the right path. When I just was there with her and allowing what she was telling me, because she she's an elder to me. So even though I'm in the role of therapist or guide, she's in the role, She she's actually an elder. And so she's lived this lengthy experience that was uh, and involves carrying trauma for for decades. Um, this is the opportunity I think that we have, uh, really knowing that these roles, whatever we call them, healer, client, or therapist, client, they're just roles. What really is happening is a possibility for alchemy between the individuals that are helping each other. Mm. And that's what happened for me, Sam. I really felt as I was hearing this story, and one piece in particular was about the her parents coming to the United States with, with nothing, because they had to leave Germany with little to nothing. And, um, and what they had to give up, they were so afraid 
that they had to give up name, their name. They couldn't, they didn't even feel that they could keep this name that had a Jewish sound to it. They didn't, the only thing that they could keep was the fact that they were survivors of this horrible uh, persecution and genocide. And when, she, when I was told this, I really went to this path that my parents went through, how this education, I, I ended up somehow in an Ivy League school by the time I went to college, and how this, this push to get me to something like that, which in effect was the same thing that my client was telling me. There was almost an erasure of everything that was African about me in order for me to take this step to get into this place so that I would be safe, so that I wouldn't be stopped on the street, or if I were stopped on the street, they would immediately see that I was different or more intelligent or whiter, um, which is what's happened. You know, I have been able to navigate this world unlike a George Floyd was able to navigate it because I have had this particular way to be, which is that client so reminded me of their path some 70 years ago of doing the same thing in order to survive. And so it, in, it informed them like, oh yeah, that's what I did. How do I reclaim? You know, how do, as, as this client took back her name. So the parents kept the new name, but she took back the name. She took back the curly hair and stopped getting it straightened. She took it back. And I realized, you know, we've, of course, I've done some of those things. I wear my African clothing on occasion, and I do. But I realized as, as she was engaging, as we were engaging in our practice together, that there was more for me to take up. There was really take up your cultural heritage. Don't let anyone make it lesser than. That's what I think is possible if when we work with each other. That's what's possible. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's, I guess, what I have to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it makes me a little um, emotional just to, <sighs> to hear you talking about this. And I think about, like, how we all experience whiteness to some degree. And, yes. And it was... It, it wasn't something that I really had thought about too much until recently. And, and it was just like, oh, wow. Yeah. Like I can see how that kind of shows up in my life. Mm -hmm. And, and, and it, I do, do believe that it, it was like a strategy to like not stand up as much or kind of fit in or mm -hmm. assimilate. And it's, it's something that like, when that happened for me when I was younger, I, I found myself kind of pushing away my roots, away my like ancestry. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the other thing that I wanted to also respond to was like this intergenerational kind of healing that's happening now since more and more people like are coming together, younger, older, and just learning from each other, hearing things from each other. Like, mm -hmm. I think about my my nephew who's 22 now and 
I mean, for the past, I don't even know how many years he's been wanting to learn as much as he can about Venezuela and, and Mexico because it's mm-hmm. very much a part of where he's from, who he is. He, and he wants to learn about the culture and really is embracing it in a way that like I have never given myself the permission to do that. Uh, and, and I, I want to, like, it, it's something that I'm noticing. Like I, I want to feel more connected to where I come from, who I am and my ancestors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I also need to work through some of the shame that I've held around it. Absolutely. Me too. I think that's so much of the learning I've had in, Interestingly enough, COVID has given me the opportunity to stop and think about those things mm-hmm. where I was moving and what someone uh, named for me earlier in, in the month was uh, this path of ascension we have. They were always trying to ascend to something. So we stay so busy trying to get to some next plateau, some next level. What COVID do- did is just stopped so many of us, particularly me, and I wasn't trying to ascend anymore. I was just being, which allowed me to contemplate things and listen. I mean, these Zoom gatherings that I've been on, which, as you just mentioned, have been uh, multi-generational. I don't know that I had the opportunity to be in multi-generational spaces like I am now, to really hear these different thoughts. My the students that I am now working with in the school I work is that lots of younger people and they're expressing these ideas. And I was reading some earlier this week and some of their feedback. And I have to say that I was just, my heart just soared when I saw how intent they were on doing this very thing that your nephew is doing to really say, no, I want to know about these things. I want to know about how we are as a people, how we've interrelated racially and on gender. I mean, they are just going into it with a gusto that I never really did, even though I, you know, I did my restorative justice work and I sat in circles, but there is a fervor in which they are doing it that really has been wondrous to me and has been assisting and my wondering, why haven't I stepped into this with this level of fervor? And it's because I've been in the ascension thing. Like I need to achieve something. I need to get to something. And they're just being, you know, they're like, this is what I want to know. This is what, how, how I want to feel. This is what I want to be. I don't want to carry shame. You know, we learn to carry the shame. This is how you, you carry the shame and keep moving. That's what we learned. They're like, I'm not carrying any shame. <laughs> and I have to say, I love it. I'm like, wow, who are these? You know, even as they, I don't like to be forced into language and using the program they, as an example, has really annoyed the hell out of me. It's like, that's not grammatically correct. And I have all of my reasons. And then what I realized is that they are ushering in something new. Mm -hmm. They are ushering in a new consciousness. This is not just about the pronoun. This is about the fact that they're saying, let me be something other than your binary reality. And don't 
disparage it with your idea of what's right, whether it's grammatical or whatever it is, mm. what, whether it's a gender binary, whatever you're holding, a racial binary, don't hold me to that. Uh, it's a new consciousness. And so we do have, we do have something to learn from these, as they used to call them when my older people used to call whippersnappers. We have something to <laughs> learn from these whippersnappers. <laughs> I now wonder what a whippersnapper actually is, because I just say the word, I'm like, what is a whippersnapper? But uh, <laughs> it, is, it is an opportunity to grow as the elders, as I was saying, that my client is, is showing me a grace of how to hold the complexities of pain in a way that isn't about fighting so much. You know, I have fought so much usually with my intellect, like, oh, I have to let someone know that what they've just said is absolutely incorrect. And they have, you know, this is almost like a legal argument, which is what this system teaches us. So debate someone down with a better argument. What I've realized is that a better argument doesn't mean that they're wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a better argument just means you've learned how to bully them into, into not saying more. The fact of the matter is they have their way, their perspective, honor that. Mm -hmm. Respect that as you want your way honored and respected. And then find the bridge between the two, which is what I have to offer the whippersnappers of today. Don't just force me. Tell me why I'm doing something. And then we can work together. Yeah. If you force me, then I'm going to feel shame because I've used the wrong pronoun, for instance. But just tell me this is why I'm saying this. Mm -hmm. This is what my heart says of why I need to say this. Then. I open. And that's what I realized we're all able to do with each other. It isn't a one person healing another. Mm -hmm. We do this work together. Yeah. And I, I think what you were describing was like you were able to like empathize, like it mm -hmm. something up in you where you're like, mm -hmm. yeah, like I, that makes sense. Like I feel that. Mm -hmm. Right. I feel that. And Thank you for sharing your pain with me, your heart with me. Thank you for sharing with me that it's important to you to be recognized, <clears throat> which is what we started with. I don't know that I've, I said at my university, it's important for me to be recognized as this Black, Southside, Chicago, sexually different being than you are. Mm -hmm. It didn't occur to me to even, it occurred to me to try to fit in to the khaki pants and the Izod shirts or the button-down shirts or try to fit in somehow to this, what at the time was called preppy behavior. Mm -hmm. What now I realize that these younger beings are showing me is, no, this is who I am. <laughs> this is who I've chosen to be, at least in this moment. Mm -hmm. Respect me for that. Yeah. Call me what I'm asking you to call me. I didn't even have that voice. And so that agency is something that I feel they are teaching us. Um, that's, that's coming in as a new way of being, a new consciousness. It's, I think it's an invaluable aspect to this evolution that I think we're, we're doing right now. Mm -hmm. this, new, this new way, this new phase. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, a shift. Yeah, a shift. Mm -hmm. And it happens with the older generation. They are, even though they are in the last part of this human journey, 
what I'm realizing is they're also showing us something. Here is grace when they when they can when they can muster it when they haven't been so beaten into submission when they have their own sense of agency they can say here is here is a graceful way to be you don't have to argue every single person's point of view that doesn't agree with yours <laughs> and i'm like oh i don't no you don't <laughs> <laughs> so Yes, I am being assisted from all, and we all are all the time. That's why these multi-generational gatherings are so important. Something else that, that came to mind as you just shared what you shared is thinking about like the older generation, the, the ones who are like closest to death just by nature of their age and their mm -hmm. body's abilities and susceptibility to uh, viruses, sicknesses, illnesses. And I, I think about how much our culture kind of, we, we kind of skirt around saying they died. It's, they've passed away. They've, they've moved on, gone into another realm. Um, transition. Yeah. Transition. Mm -hmm. And, and, and it's like, I think we're conditioned to kind of like fear and, and not talk about death in, in a way that could be really healthy for us. If, if we had the ability to call it what it was, be able to have healthy conversations around death. And even with people who are getting older, like how do you want to spend the last days, weeks, months, years that you're living on this earth, like where do you want to die? Do you want it to be at home? You want to be around family? Like mm -hmm. I, I think so many people kind of put their older family members into these hospitals or care facilities because they don't know or have the capacity or really want to deal with what comes with with people nearing death and and i think we're missing out on such a beautiful experience and and a transference of just like we can I, I think we could learn so much from being able to embrace it not like idealize it yeah like but mm -hmm. but really learn how to be okay with it. it we might like spend our lives like really living to live and not to get everything done before we die absolutely and you point to i think one of the key ways in which our wounds are um, creating a reality for us or, or or living circumstance for us that isn't optimal. And Maladoma Somme, who I mentioned earlier that I worked with, he, his first wife was a woman named Sabonfu Somme. And uh, a part of the African indigenous shamanic practices that I learned with them uh, separately, because they were separated at this point, one was around grief and how as a culture was so adverse to actually inhabiting and allowing the process of grief to occur, which also disallows us from moving 
forward. We can't move if we don't grieve. We can't grieve if we don't acknowledge and name that death is happening. And it feels to me, looking at it, trying to look at it more compassionately, Sam, is that we've also learned to avoid anything that feels like shadow mm-hmm. and be fearful of anything that feels like shadow. For us, death, even though I don't think it's a shadow reality, it's just a natural part of the, the process of being a human on this plane. But I feel that we still are so afraid of it. For us, it's what's been steeped into us is we don't know. Some people don't know if it's this blackness you go into and we've, we, nothing else is after that. Some people think that we could go to a hell where we have eternal damnation. So, you know, there's all of these sort of fear-based things as opposed to saying it's, an, it's a part of the whole process. Mm-hmm. So honor this part of the process. Also, I think we don't do the honorable thing and take care of our beings that are moving into the next phase, whatever that is, because we don't know what it is, at least our consciousness don't, consciousnesses don't know it in this part of the game. But as I have seen, the way we were before we became these highly industrialized beings is that we did honor this process of dying. We did do elaborate processes of cleaning bodies and doing these rituals and ceremonies, grieve, wailing and grieving. We did that. And then we came into this this world where we were expected to be something that was always strong of what we consider to be strong, we let go of those practices. And I also believe, which is what I think you were, which I read you to be saying, it has hurt us to do that. It has hurt us tremendously not to be able to do this part, not to celebrate the, the death as we celebrate the life coming in. You know, we should be doing the same thing that we do when those little babies come in. Mm-hmm. We should be doing the same thing as the death goes yes. out, as the as the person goes out. But somehow we became afraid, mm-hmm. which is what I also think the racism is about and the sexism is about. It's about a fear. Mm-hmm. We became afraid that if we honor this thing outside of us, it's going to hurt us in some way or it's going to diminish us in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, the key opportunity, I think, for all of us is to recognize, no, just like these races are constructs and they're not really real, it's not really real that if you honor the, the dead, that it's going to be scary and that you're going to be in some sort of terrifying situation. Um, but I feel we do feel that. We all get so afraid of death. I mean, I, I know myself, even if I come across an animal in the road that's dead, there's some sense of fright that comes up in me. Mm-hmm. Um, I so admire those people who get out of their cars and move the animal to the other side of the road so it's not run over. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and so, so yeah, they, they, they are able to be with death in a way that I haven't still to this day come to. I think I'm coming to it, mm-hmm. but you're so right about that. I, I believe it is a perennial fear, and that it's a vestige of this civilized way that we've become. Mm-hmm. And 
this is when I say being civilized and how Maladoma has said, being civilized is not all it's cracked up to be. We need to go right back to the village way, tend to those bodies, tend to those elders, uh, sing, sing them out with whatever, at least in Africa, you're born with a song that, you're, that is sung about you and you die with a song. <laughs> that that song that was about you and you're singing them off back to the back to the place wherever they're going to next that's what i wish we were we were doing i agree yeah i so agree yeah and we can we can it's it's really just saying just like these youth that are telling us about the trans reality like this is who I am, and don't put me in a box. I think we also have to take those kinds of stands. No, I'm not going to put grandmother in this home. Mm -hmm. We are going to take care of her <laughs> until she goes. We're going to keep her comfortably, uh, comfortable until she goes. You know, that is, we have to take that stand. And, and have that conversation. Like, what do you want? Like, what, right. what would make you right. happy? And, right. And one of the things that, that uh, I heard um, in a recent conversation around death and end of, and end of life doula talks about this practice of bringing in different sensory experiences when you're spending the last days, weeks, months with, with your loved ones it could be something as simple as like a lavender, like essential oil and sharing that scent together. Like what, what is it that, that you can can create sensory wise so that mm -hmm. when they're when they've died that they like they're you have that experience with them that's very like you take a smell of that lavender and it it just brings you right back to that moment mm -hmm. hearing that mm -hmm. song and and i think you talked about like that song that you heard coming into this mm -hmm. life and song that you're going to hear going out mm -hmm. absolutely i there's a a career, not a career, there's an opportunity that's been coming to me that even when I moved to California some 25 years ago, I wanted to come and work at this cancer center in Bolinas called Commonweal. And so I met this person, I went to Commonweal for the first time after the 25 years of being here not long ago. And I met this person who has started a company called Dialogues, Dialogues spelled with a Y. And it's all about exactly what you say, these very important end-of-life conversations. And I became the whole idea of a death doula or end-of-life doula, uh, dialogues. Uh, there's a choir in Marin that is formed and it goes to sing to people who are in their last stages. Mm. Zen, hospice, all of those things have become really important in my consciousness of these are the kinds of things that I want to model for us to do. Yes, I feel that. Mm -hmm. I'm so on board with you and that. I'm sure we'll talk about that more in our friendship, but <laughs> yeah, I feel that that is what we are to do. That is what a village does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what you do. And we, we have to get back to that as opposed to what I consider being in the matrix reality, you know? This being in the matrix is don't even acknowledge the death or put them away. Don't they don't have to come into your consciousness and keep moving as uh, the matrix tells you to move. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we've been doing, mm -hmm. and we need to be Neo and 
uh, Morpheus, uh, was it Destiny? Was that a Trinity? We need to be those people and say, <laughs> I'm coming out of the matrix and I'm going to behave in this different way. Yeah. 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 Oh, <laughs> I love you, Ty. <laughs> I love you too, Sam. Thank you for even giving me this space to have this kind of a conversation. I think it's really important on these podcasts to have, at least for me, to have conversation a conversation with someone that I'm truly in connection with, mm -hmm. uh, so that I'm not just pontificating. I'm actually going into my heart and speaking what is true, and that that feels incredibly important. So thank you for inviting me, so that I could see that happening in myself just the modeling of my own coming from my heart and speaking and not coming from my mind and speaking. I, I really appreciate you, you sharing that. And I even notice it in myself, you know, like when I can go up into my head and try and think about what I should sound like versus just being like in my body and feeling connected to you um, mm -hmm. and my other guests. And, and I think like, it's I, what I hope for with these conversations is, is that people can hear this no matter where they are around the world and find some sort of way to feel like they're not alone, hear other mm -hmm. people's stories and, and notice how that affects them and notice what it brings up in them and what it touches in them. And I, I just, I, my hope is that people are, able to gain some sort of insight into their inner worlds and, and those that they love and, and care about around them. Mm -hmm. I think that's what more wonderful objective can there be for this kind of work that you're doing to have it inform and help others to know that they're not alone. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to ask uh, one more question and we talked about it earlier. Mm -hmm. Just maybe sharing uh, a poem, a phrase, um, a, a teaching that maybe has come into your life that's really supported you up and mm -hmm. until this point. Yeah, I'm so glad you asked me this question and reminded me of it. And it's, it's informed much of what I've said because you asked me before, so in case. And that was so generous and gracious of you to give me time in case I wanted to go find the book. And I was, you know, I was thinking of James Baldwin because he has said so many wonderful things. And then I thought Maya Angelou, she has said so many wonderful things. And these days I love Brian Stevenson, uh, who's in uh, with the Equal Justice Initiative in Alabama. But I, I was going to those places, but I realized, oh, I don't have to go any of those places. I can go right to my great grandmother who, there are so many phrases that she put into my head that some I just laugh at because my grandmother was, for a woman born, she was born in 1893, a, a black woman, uh, but quite this spunky, feisty being. So when I came to know her in her 70s, I guess, um, she uh, offered me so much. And the thing that has informed my path more than anything is her saying to me, no one is better than you and you are better than no one. Mm. And I don't know, I don't remember exactly the context she was saying it, but I know that 
it has so in helped this being and this black body navigate the worlds I've been in. When I see so many people in my life walk into situations already feeling diminished. But because my great grandmother told me that, it doesn't even occur to me to feel diminished. I, I mean, I, I now think something must be wrong with this person if they're trying to diminish me because grandmother told me mm -hmm. no one is better than you and you are better than no one. So if that's the case, then why are they purporting as if they're better than me? And that's the thought that comes up for me first. Uh, and also on the, on the other side, when I am with someone getting all high and mighty and thinking that I know more than they know, and probably the reason why it even comes in my mind about Trump, that uh, there's nothing in him that isn't in you, is because of what my grandmother said. I think she started that neural pathway or that emotional pathway where I don't think that I'm better than someone. As smart as I think I am, as much education as I've gotten, as emotionally intelligent as I think the president has made me or uh, truth and reconciliation work has made me, I am better than no one. So don't go around, as she was saying to me, acting as if you are better than someone. Mm -hmm. That's not the way to be in the world. And I have never been that way in the world. And of everything I've heard, that is the thing that has supported me the most. Mm -hmm. No one is better than you, and you are better than no one. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. She sounds like a really wise woman. <laughs> She was, like me, she was quite dramatic. But yes, she was wise does not mean that you're not dramatic. At least, you know, it doesn't in my family. But yeah, she was wise. And um, yet again, I mean, I'm as I said, I met her in her 70s. So it's the gift that those beings who've lived on the planet for a long time, or as long as we, we human beings live on the planet, uh, they can offer us those kinds of moments of, oh, and fortunately she told me when I was a young kid so that I could carry in my life and through schools in America that told me black people were not as smart or we were in some way lesser than. She gave me that at the very beginning so that I always held I was not lesser than. Mm. Boy, do I wish every child Every child got that. Mm -hmm. I wish Donald Trump had got that, gotten that, because clearly he didn't get it. <laughs> you know, no one is better than you, Donald, and you are better than no one. He didn't get that, and look what it's caused. It's caused an immeasurable amount of damage mm -hmm. in, in his psyche. Uh, we all, I wish, got that. Certainly, these rulers of these nations and, and war, people starting wars. No. No one is better than you, and you are better than no one. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that's the phrase, my grandmother Cora Lena. <laughs> that was what she offered me as a young boy. Mm. Thank you for making me having me remember that and holding it through this uh, chat of ours. Uh, it, it was informing everything that I was saying, and. Uh, it's so important for me to remember that because sometimes hurt can have one enact in defensive postures and 
so much hurt is present. <laughs> so when you had me go there, I got centered in remember who you are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Amen to that. Yes. <laughs> Thank you to your grandmother. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm sure she would love you. Probably does love you wherever she is. Yeah. <laughs> I know she would adore you, as so many do, because you're such a special being. The part of her that lives in you. Mm, yeah, yeah. That, that, it's there. You've definitely been experiencing that part. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was a very sassy part of her. <laughs> you have experienced some of that. <laughs> I got my own too. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Well, well, thank yeah. you so, so much, Ty. And if people want to find out more about you and potentially work with you, is that something that you're open to right now? And if so, feel free to share. Yeah. Hmm. You know, I am gradually building the practice that I, uh, ex that I present myself into the world, and I haven't, um, I haven't done it officially. But maybe now that I'm going to mention it on this podcast, I will go ahead and make sure I do that officially. Mm -hmm. um, and the uh, the notion is, you would be able to reach me through the URL of. Uh, www.creativeties.com is what I'm feeling. And ties would be spelled T-Y-S. Uh, so I think uh, I'm going to go ahead and get on that. Yeah. And make creativeties.com. I'm going to have to go and just make that official. And now that I've said it and create that so that people can reach me that way. Yeah, and I'll I'll make sure to just check in um, so I can put something in the show notes that mm -hmm. has a way for people to contact you as well. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, use a, an email address that I've been using, and it's ty at simpleidea.com, which is an organization I also worked with, a, a group of consultants, and I still use that email address ty at simpleidea.com and i can be reached immediately through that yeah, and it's ty ty at simpleidea.com awesome thank you thank you sam Thank you all so much for listening to How Are You Doing Really? If you enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, you can find the various platforms on my website, as well as additional information about me and the work that I do in this world at samsebastian.com. That's S-A-M-S-E-B-A-S-T-I-A-N.com. Also, if you enjoy this podcast, please rate and review on whichever platform you listen to us on. I want to give a special shout out to Dominique Ferraton for helping with the production of this podcast. Additionally, to Nico Holloman for creating the music. 
If any of you are interested in being a guest on the show, you can reach out to me directly at sam at samsebastian.com. May you all be well. May you be loved. May you be at ease. Until next time.